Today is part three of a four-part message series titled Failing Faith. And the main idea of this series is that in America, we often associate spiritual blessings with physical happiness. When life becomes difficult, either through loss, divorce, depression, or grief, it can make us feel like our faith is a fraud or lead us to believe that God is the one who is a fraud. Today we're gonna deal with a very important topic and I believe it hits one of the most important topics of our faith and yet honestly could probably be one of the least talked about subjects, spiritual doubt. When Jesus asked the question, why do doubts rise in your mind? Now, the good news is for some of you, you would say that you have no problems with doubt at all. In fact, I know some people that say things, the Bible says it and I believe it and that settles it. And if that's you, then I need a little bit more of that faith. But for me and for many other people, it's not that simple, it's not that clean. I know a lot of people who say, I really want to believe, but I'm a little naturally skeptical. Or I'm analytical and I want to believe, but I need some questions answered first. Or maybe they'll say, I need to see some things before I can believe. And I tell you, honestly, I'm more like that, the natural skeptic, which may be a little difficult to believe since I'm a pastor and it's still true. A question. In fact, growing up, I like to think that I was the first kid to ever have spiritual doubts in the history of any church. And you know that's not true, but at the time it felt like it because everyone around me seemed to have this rock solid faith. I grew up in a very traditional church and I remember thinking all we would do would stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down. Kind of like what we do here, but I mean, and we would only sing verses one, two, and four. I don't know what's wrong with verse three, but it was not part of my history. And one week, my pastor was talking, and everybody was nodding and listening, and I almost had this inner angst within me, and, and a doubt flashed over my mind. What if this isn't true? What if they're just believing something and this is a, a crutch or they've been brainwashed or they're just doing this to make themselves feel better? What if this whole God thing isn't true? And I wanted to believe, you see, in fact, I, my whole life, I look at the world and the glory of creation. I look at my children and the children that are here at this church and, and the food that we have and the water that's provided and everything that sustains life. And I know that somebody smarter than me made all of that. But suddenly I had this real doubt, is all this Christianity stuff true? And so as a kid I went home and I talked to God and I hope was there and I said, God, if you're there, do one thing for me, just one little thing and then if we're cool, because I was a kid, 10, 12, I don't know, then for the rest of my life I'll do whatever you want. You like that bribing God, right? And so I was trying to figure out what I could do that God could show himself to me. And there was a picture above my bed. 
and it was straight and I remember turning it sideways and my prayer to God was, God, I'm gonna go to sleep tonight and if you're there, if you're real, straighten it. I don't have to see you do it, but you've got eight to 10 hours depending on how well I sleep. It should be easy. And so I went to bed fully hoping to wake up and see it straight. And I woke up and you know what? It was still crooked. And I was like, God, were you not paying attention? I mean, if, I, if you had done that, I would have gone to Africa as a missionary. I would have been a preacher. I mean, anything. Yeah. And so I remember saying, I wasn't asking you to part the water in the swimming pool. Just straighten the picture. So doubts continued to flood my mind, and yet here I am years later as a pastor, and I'll tell you, doubts come in all shapes and sizes. There are people who obviously doubt the existence of God, or even more than doubt, they just believe that with all their heart, there's no way that a God exists. And just to add fuel to the fire, they'll even say, and anyone who does believe is just foolish. Then there are people who will give God the benefit of the doubt. You know, yeah, there's probably a higher power. But then they'll say, but I doubt he hears my prayers. And then some people doubt that God could actually love them. If there is a God, after all that I've done, God couldn't love me. God couldn't forgive me. I'm just upset and messed up. You see, doubt comes in all these different forms. And and what I want us to do today is to take this different side of it and don't see doubt as this horrible thing that can separate you for the rest of your life from God. Because some people will say doubt is the end of real faith. And I'm going to argue that for some people, doubt is the beginning of sincere, grounded faith. And to do that, we're going to look at this guy in scripture, which we read, and he's already branded as the doubter. Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. What I love about Thomas, though, that we're going to look is in his life, he shows us that who he becomes is evidence that even the biggest doubters can one day have the strongest faith. So let's look into what Thomas is saying. Jesus had just risen from the dead. He appeared to to guys on the road to Emmaus and in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, you get this passage, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And our response would have been, see, we're good Methodists. (laughs) The Bible says that they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost But Jesus says to them, and this is the big question, why are you troubled? You could hear the compassion in his voice and his love. Why do doubts rise in your mind? He could have easily said, did you guys forget? Did you forget about me opening blind eyes, healing deaf ears, raising the dead, and promising you that I would give my life and three days later I would be back? 
Did you forget? This was the plan. I told you it was going to happen. Why do doubts rise in your mind? And then he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself touch and see. And what's interesting is in this passage that we read today in John's gospel, that it says, now Thomas, known as Didymus, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I don't know if y'all have ever known this, but Thomas missed church. He missed church, he wasn't there. Do you know you miss a lot when you miss church? He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. He missed the peace, be still, of Jesus. You miss a lot when you're not in church. And those of you that haven't been here since Christmas, welcome. (laughs) But we know that there's others that aren't. Thomas missed church. And so the other disciples told him, it says, Thomas, we saw the Lord. But Thomas doubted. He said to them, unless I see, unless I put my hand in his side and in his hands, I will not believe. He says, I want to, I want to believe, but I can't. I just don't understand. I don't see it. I don't know why. That's a little ad lib. He didn't want this secondhand faith hearing from others. He wanted to experience Christ himself. That's a big problem today in a lot of churches. Many people just believe whatever their parents believed. They kind of believe whatever other people believe. We're just kind of Christians because after all, we're not something else, so we just believe. That's just what we do. And then one day something happens and it shakes a little bit of your faith that you had and one day you ask yourself the questions, do I really believe or is this just my parents? Is God really the only way? This is a big world. A lot of people believe this, but can there be such a a narrow claim? It goes so far, does God really exist? Does Jesus exist? Did he really rise from the dead? Don't miss the claim of the disciples. They claim that God loves us so much that he did not stay in heaven. He came to us in the person of his son, Jesus, who was born a virgin. Therefore, he didn't inherit the sin of human beings but the divine nature of his heavenly father. He could live without sin. And on the cross, he became sin as the perfect sacrifice in our place. He didn't stay dead. He claims to the others and and eyewitnesses that were there on the third day, the stone was rolled away and he was not there. It's the Easter story as resurrection people. It's what we believe until doubt sets in. You see, if this is true, if the resurrection is true, then it demands a response. And the only response for a savior who died for me is for me to live for him. And Thomas said, this is important to me. I wanna know, is this true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. 
So we hear, oh, you can't have faith if you doubt. You can't have real faith unless you press through your sincere doubts, unless you press through the times where you question and wonder about God. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For many, doubts are the beginning of a rock-solid faith that will carry you through and glorify God in all you do. Jesus encourages us to bring our doubts to him. We read on, and it says a little later in the week, the disciples were in the house and Thomas was there. He made it to church that week. And Jesus, the power of Jesus, do you catch this in this passage? The power of Jesus, the doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The power of Jesus is there when we worship. The experience of God is in this midst. And he goes to Thomas after peace, and then he says, touch Put your finger, reach out your hand to my side. We can bring our doubts before God, knowing that God will guide us into our belief. So what does Thomas do? Jesus tells him to stop doubting and believe. And Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. Notice what he didn't do. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, just sit in the room. You're in timeout. You have no faith. You can't be my disciple anymore. No, he says, stop doubting and believe. And I believe that in this day, that the presence of God, the power of God in this place, that for some of us, it's going to give you what you need to believe. That's what's going to answer your questions of worry. That's going to bring you out of that turmoil within and the peace of God, the doubter, the skeptic within you can experience God. We may not be able to see Jesus, but I believe we find reassurance from those who did. And for Thomas, it became very real that day. His response is so personal. He says, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say, Lord God. He doesn't just name who the person is. He personalizes, this is my God. This was a first generation faith. This was no longer living someone else's faith. Thomas believed. There's a difference between believing in and believing. Even the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. But Thomas believed and it became personal. This builds my faith, the stories of scripture, of those that gave their all. We have been taught in our past to shun anything that makes us feel uncomfortable or doubt. But if we approach it correctly, we can lead. It can lead us and guide us toward this renewed sense of faith. When we struggle in doubt, in the question, and the worry of mind and heart, we work our way through it because we believe in the God of divine certainty. And by doing so, we study those who we've seen and heard and lived and walked with Jesus. I think about Peter, who said, Jesus, I'm going to be there for you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. 
And sure enough, before the death of Jesus, three different times, I don't know him, never heard of him. I don't know who you're talking about. He denied, his faith failed. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to him and says, do you love me? And Peter says, I'm trying, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Jesus forgives him from that moment of denial and not knowing, the moment of doubt and uncertainty. Peter is so transformed that he preaches and on the day of Pentecost, one of the most powerful messages in the history of the world and 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God and Peter became the rock upon which Jesus had predicted. And then when others come to Peter and say, unless you deny your faith, when people tell Peter that your life will be taken from you, Peter says, I will never again deny my Lord and Savior. They tell him that you will be crucified as your Savior died. Tradition tells us that he says, I am unworthy to die as my Savior did. So they crucified him upside down. The same Jesus that Peter denied was the same Jesus that Peter was willing to die for. What about James, the brother of Jesus? Ask yourself sometime, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? That's gotta be a little difficult. I got a brother. That would be a big push, right? The brother of Jesus who was elevated as a leader to the church and years later when the enemies of Christ tell him, renounce your faith or we will kill you, he says, I will not do it. So they push him off the temple, but he doesn't die. Then they ambush him and say, renounce your faith. And he looks up to heaven just as Jesus did. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They beat him to death with a club. The brother of Jesus, eyewitness, willing to die, that builds my faith. What about the apostle Paul who hated Christians? Now, some of you can say the same thing, but you don't hate them as much as he did. He killed them. In a vision, he meets the risen Christ who so transformed that those he hated, he became leader of. And he preaches ferociously. And he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And they would beat him and leave him for dead again and again. And finally they got to him and tortured him and said, renounce your faith. And he says, no, I will never do so. And they took the head of the one who hated Christ but was now willing to give his life. And we go to Thomas. The unfairly branded as a doubter Because you see, I believe Thomas was a person of great faith. His doubt is not the end of his real faith. For many people, it's just the beginning. And once Thomas got that experience with Jesus, when Jesus reached out to him and he believed, he traveled farther than any other disciple, going all the way to India to preach the gospel because he so believed they needed a relationship with Christ and it had transformed him. When they met him early in a cave one morning, he said, renounce your faith. 
the enemies of the Lord said, I would never renounce my Lord and my God, and they drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted was the Jesus that Thomas was willing to die for. Thomas believed in Jesus enough to give his all. I ask you, do you believe enough to live for Christ? Do you believe enough to live for him? Today, will you bring your doubts to God? Will you use your doubts as a catalyst for your faith? Or is it just an excuse to wallow in uncertainty? Every now and then when I think about these things, my my faith just gets louder and louder. But you see, my faith isn't always perfect. I have doubts. I question and I worry and I wonder. But when I press into God, God reveals himself to me in a way that moves me through my doubts. Some of you, you came here today with doubts, with questions, with wonder. And I'm gonna tell you that's a great place to start because it's worthy of asking the real questions. Doubt is not the end of real faith. For many people, it's just the beginning. And I believe that this moment, there are those of you, because of the presence and power of God in this place, you'll move from doubting. You'll move from questioning and uncertainty to belief and understanding. Our closing song today is the spirit song. Would you hear these words from verse one? It says, oh, let the son of God enfold you with his spirit and his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Oh, let him have the things that hold you. Maybe what holds you back. And a spirit like a dove will descend upon your heart and make you whole. I invite you today to the altar to bring your doubts, your questions, your worry, your fears to God and let the spirit fall on you. The altar is open and and let it be part of who you are, the things that pull us away and let the spirit of God fill this place. Let the spirit of God fill us with his love. I invite you to come during the singing of the song. It's just a couple of verses so we may sing it more than once as we let this time at the altar begin to truly alter our doubts and fears. Will you stand, will you sing? And will you let God's spirit change you and begin the process of answering your doubts?